you. So let's pray that the word gets into us. Amen. All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this evening and this opportunity to come back into the house of God. Lord, thank you for a house of worship. And Lord, thank you for the people of God assembled here, Lord. Thank you for their heart for you to know you. Lord, we've set aside our time, our agenda, so that we can come and meet with you. And Lord, we ask that you would meet with us. We ask, Lord, for your anointing to be upon your word tonight. Lord, we thank you for the word of God. And Lord, I ask tonight, Lord, for that anointing to preach and teach as you desire. And we all ask for that anointing that we can hear and receive everything that the Spirit of God is speaking to us tonight. And Lord, we ask it in Jesus' most holy name. Everybody says Amen, amen, glory to God. So tonight we're going to come back into this passage here in 2 Kings chapter number 6. What we're dealing with in this passage is a famine. There was a a famine in Samaria. And in in reality, there's a famine in a lot of people. And I'm not talking about food. Now, Samaria, this town of Samaria, they had a famine of food. But God tells us in Amos chapter 8, verse 11, that there can be a famine from the word of God. And I believe we're in a generation today where that is exactly what we see going on. There's a famine of the word of God. People are, are using uh, advertising and techniques and, and story time at the Apollo and everything else under the sun in order to entertain people. But you know, God didn't call us to entertain anybody. Amen. He called us to evangelize. Amen. And the way that we evangelize is by is by speaking the word of God. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And that's why we come back to that foundation. Now, that that verse, if you want to look that up later, it's Amos 8 verse 11. But you have to know and understand that there is a time and a season in a in a place in a generation where there can be a famine from the word of God. And I want to tell you, no matter how excited you are, no matter how loud you sing, no matter how pretty you may be, no matter how much theology you pack between your ears, until you get to that place to where you come humbly before the cross and come with a a heart that is contrite and broken before God and receive his word, you will not prosper in the things of God. And I'm not talking about growing from a Toyota to a Cadillac. I'm talking about prospering in the things of God, meaning that you would walk in the fullness and the abundance that God has for each and every one of his children. God has an overflow. And so many of us today are starving. There's a disconnect between the flow of God and the people of God. Amen. You know, Abraham... He had wells and his son, he gave those wells to his son. And when he went to go dig up those wells, the enemy had covered those wells up. And he had to go back to the same well that his father once had. And he had to get a shovel and he had to put some sweat and some muscle behind and he had to dig those wells out. And I want to tell you that there's a disconnect between the water and the well And the people on top of the dry land. And one of the things that we've got to do is get the shovel out. That's humility. That's brokenness. That's repentance. That's contrition. And we have to realize, Lord, I'm not drinking from that everlasting water today. 
I'm not drinking from that overflowing fountain today. I'm not drinking from that well that never runs dry today. I'm weary. I'm worn. I'm impatient. I'm prideful. I'm, I'm full of anxiety and fear and doubts, worry. You see, as the people of God, we've got a call of God on our life to be in the world but not of the world. And you cannot do that if you're starving from the Word of God. If you're starving from the Word of God, what you'll find yourself is you'll find yourself knowing that you shouldn't be of the world, but living just like it. Fearing what they fear. Acting how they act. Responding how they respond. Talking like they talk. As Paul will say later, walking the way they walk. The conversation of our life. I've seen people fight, not physically, but fight over a parking spot at a church. If you don't think people can get that shallow, (laughs) it's because when we're starving spiritually, we will inevitably find ourselves at at the beck and call of the flesh. Now, let's get into the word tonight. It says in verse 24, it came to pass after this that Ben Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his host, went up and besieged Samaria. That means he surrounded it. There was a great famine in Samaria, and behold, they besieged it until an ass's head was sold for fourscore pieces of silver and the fourth part of a cab of, a, of dove's dung for five pieces of silver. Now, we don't have to break down what those things mean, but they're unclean. And what, what I said this morning was that when, when you're starving, you will do unclean things. When you're not being fed from the Spirit of God, when you're not walking in the fullness of God, when you don't have the abundant life flowing through you, you will inevitably come down to the place where you're eating the ass's head or the dung of a dove. You'll do unclean things when the Spirit of God's not flowing in you. Your flesh is flesh. Hello. But the Bible says this, that if you would walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's it. You can tie a thief's hand behind his back, but you can't take the desire to steal out of his heart. Flesh will do what flesh does. But God's got to call on your life not to operate in the flesh, but to operate in the Spirit. And when we as the people of God begin to walk in the Spirit, we won't do these things, these unclean things, both these things, the the eating the ass's head and, and eating the dung of a dove, these were forbidden by the law of God. But these Israelites would resort to low things when the Spirit's not flowing. And we do too. When the Spirit's not flowing in us, we will resort to the flesh. We will do things that we know we shouldn't do. Go places we shouldn't go. 
say things we shouldn't say. You know, I know I shouldn't say this, but I just got to get it off my chest, brother. Well, you know you shouldn't say it. Don't say it. If you know you shouldn't go there, don't go there. If you know you shouldn't do it, don't do it. Amen. But the problem is when we're not walking in the spirit, that battle is a losing dog chasing its tail event. Until we get full of the Spirit of God and not only live in the Spirit, as Galatians tells us in Galatians 5, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. You see, God has called us to not just be alive spiritually, but walk in the Spirit. That means to be led and guided and obedient to the desires of the Holy Spirit. And everything that the Spirit of God tells you, He's going to line up with this. He's not going to tell you to do something that's not in here. So you can line everything up. God's given you a guide. He's given you a light for your path so that you can test everything by the word of God. So Samaria was surrounded. They were besieged by the enemy on the outside and on the inside. They were crumbling away because they were in a famine. They were starving. There's people of God today that are surrounded by the enemy on the outside and on the inside they are starving. And I want to tell you this, nothing will satisfy you like God. You were created to love God. You were created to know God. The Bible says that the chief end of man is to glorify God. That means, now, you, and, and let me help you out here. You might not understand what exactly that means. How many of you know that God's the greatest thing? How many of you know that he's a creator? Everything else is created. Okay. If he's the creator, he's the greatest. And if you as creation know him, That's the greatest thing you could do. If you as creation can love him, that's the greatest thing you could do. If you as creation could obey him, that's the greatest thing. You glorify him. That's the greatest. There's nothing greater than knowing God, loving God. Now, this part I want to get to tonight When you're facing hardships and trials, famines, from the Word of God. How many of you have been in a place where you were starved from the Word of God? Okay. If you're facing hardships, trials, and famines, humble yourself. Humble yourself. God is still moved when people bow their knees. See, one of the things people, you you think about this, we look at the moves of God in the past. We look at the Wesleys and the Moody's and we look at the Azusa Streets and we look at the great revivalists like Billy Sunday or you might even like somebody like Billy Graham. But I want to tell you something. I don't need to go back and look at their sermons and regurgitate them to you. We don't have to go back to their their song list and sing the same songs. Because it wasn't the words that were said. 
that moved the heart of God back then. It was people that were broken and contrite, desperate for God. That's what moved the heart of God then, and that's what moves the heart of God today. God is the same God. We serve the same God today. And he's not moved by our eloquent words. He's not moved by us copycatting somebody else. But he's moved when his people bow their knee and humble themselves in desperation. Show me someone that will cry their eyes out, pour their heart out before God, and I'll show you someone that God's going to move in. Show me somebody with dry eyes, and I'll show you someone with a dry heart. So, <clears throat> this part is, is just backstory, but let's move forward in this passage a little bit. It says in verse number 26 As the king of Israel was passing by upon the wall, there cried a woman unto him, saying, Help, my lord, O king. And he said, If the Lord do not help thee, whence shall I help thee? Out of the barn floor or out of the wine press? And the king said unto her, What aileth thee? She answered, This woman said unto me, Give thy son. Let me, let me stop right here. How many of you know whenever somebody's doing stuff they ought not do, there's always a long story? Come on. What's going on? Well, it's always a long story when you're doing what you ought not do. Now, this woman comes to the king, and she's asking for help, and he's like, what can I do for you? How can I help you? And here goes the story. What aileth thee? She answered, this woman said unto me, Give thy son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and did eat him. And I said unto her on the next day, Give thy son that we may eat him. And she hath hid her son. Now, that's not a pleasant portion of Scripture. God didn't authorize that. God didn't tell them to do it. They did what they ought not do. And you get yourself in a bind when you're doing what you ought not do. And here's the thing I want you to see, though, is that this, this woman conjured up this plan of the flesh. How many of you have ever done that before? Well, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to hit them with this hammer. Well, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to delete them on Facebook. That'll show them. Don't mess with me. I know what I'm going to do. I, they pulled out in front of me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rev my engine up and pull in front of them and slam on my brakes. That'll teach them. You know, you, you, cannot, you cannot operate in the flesh and expect a godly result. So this king finds out that this woman has boiled her son and eaten him with her neighbor. And then her neighbor withheld her son. What do you do? Well, the king, I, I think at this point, 
did something good. Look what he does in verse 30. It says, And it came to pass when the king heard the words of the woman that he rent his clothes, and he passed by upon the wall. Then the people looked, and behold, he had sackcloth within upon his flesh. Now, I want to just stop right there. This, at this point, the man said, Okay, we've messed up. How many of you know that he should have done this way before? This town of Samaria, they were besieged by the enemy on the outside, and they were starving on the inside. It shouldn't have come to this point. How many of us are hard-headed enough that sometimes we just keep going through hard times and things just keep getting worse? I remember... A story my uncle was telling me about my mom. I didn't know this. I was too young. But he said she, her, I think the car was out of a line and the brakes were out and wouldn't hardly start and, you know, all this stuff. And he said they were going. And, I mean, that van was just shaking. And he said, man, you need to get that checked out. And she said, no, it, it's fine. Just keep going. Just keep going. It's fine. Like, it's going to work itself out. Just keep going. But, you know, problems don't work themselves out. Until we realize there's a problem and stop and, and turn back to God in a spirit of humility, the problem doesn't go away. We can't be like that stork and put our head in the sand and expect the enemy to stop. The enemy is a devourer. The Bible says... He, 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 he goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And if, if you are going through tribulations and hardships and you just stick your head in the sand like nothing's the matter, when you get your head up out of the sand, it'll get worse. You had to deal with the problem. This man, this is the part that I, I believe the church has to listen to. Okay, the church has to listen to this part. This king was oblivious to the struggles around him. How many of you think in a in an old setting like that, the king probably had more access to food than the peasant? Come on, somebody. And and sometimes in the church, some of us that have somewhat of something are oblivious to the struggles of others, almost to a fault. This man, he, he was just, you know, just operating and going through. He had no idea that someone was so desperate that they would do something so ungodly. You know, until we get to that place where we stop being oblivious to the, to the pain and the suffering of others, we'll never be the people that God's called us to be. One of the things that Jesus said about us is He said that they will know that you're my followers because you love one another. We're supposed to prefer one another above ourselves. When was the last time we called someone on the phone and said, hey, hadn't seen you in a while. What's going on? Can we meet for coffee and pray? 
Let me give you a word of encouragement. We need to look upon the plight of others, not from a humanistic standpoint, but because they're our brothers and sisters in the Lord and we want to see them finish the race. You know, in the kingdom of God, the only way you lose is to not finish. You should want others to succeed. You know, I look at these churches out here, and there's, there's some that I don't like at all, but you know what? They're not my enemy. I want them to succeed. I want them to win souls. I want them to preach the word of God. I want them to have a move of God. We should want one another to succeed in the faith. Amen. We should want that. But this king was so wrapped up in his own world, he was oblivious to the plight of others. You might be thinking, well, people are oblivious to me. Well, God's not. Stop letting the devil lie to you. Jesus said that his eyes on that sparrow. Come on, somebody. Not one sparrow falls to the earth without the Lord knowing about it. So we know that we're more valuable than the sparrow. Well, who's going to care about me? Who's going to care about me? God is. God is. We should be known for our love for each other, not for our cliques. Now, I thank God we don't have this going on in our church, but it ought not start, but I know it does go on in other places. But a church should not be known for its cliques or this family controls that and this family controls that. We shouldn't have different groups or classes in the, in the house of God. Amen? We should not be known for these types of things, but we should be known for our love one for another. We should be willing to lay down our lives that others could walk across us to the other side. Sometimes I've got to lay down my... You know what I think. I'd rather take the low road so that somebody can walk over me to get where God wants them to be. And that's one of the most humbling things. But you can't do that in your own strength. You can't do that in your own flesh. You can't do that while you're starving spiritually. You'll fall right on your face. Then you'll get mad at God. How many of you been there before? I got to say, it's, it's pretty scary when somebody says they're mad at God. It's pretty scary. Let me tell you something. A lot of times people blame failure on God. But God's never failed. If there's failure, it's on our end. Not on his. Let me say that again. If there's failure, it's on our end, not on his. A lot of people blame failure on God, but he had never failed. But what do you think this king does? Look at this next verse. It says in verse 31, 2 Kings 6, Then he said, God do so and more also to me if the head of Elisha the son of Shaphat shall stand on him this day. Let's stop right there. What he did is he blamed the man of God for the problem. 
You know, there's a lot of people that will blame the preacher or the church. There's a lot of people that will blame their spouse or their boss. There's a lot of people that will blame the president. There's a lot of people that will blame Congress. There's a lot of people that will blame their dirty, rotten neighbor. A lot of people will blame their brother or their sister. Cut me out the wheel. There's a lot of people that will blame their parents for why they're not who they should be. Listen to me. This king was oblivious to the poor plight of these women and the people of this town. It wasn't the man of God's fault. It wasn't the man of God's fault. The failure was on the king's end. And instead of humbling himself, he blamed God. A lot of people would rather blame the church or the preacher, the teacher, the family member, than getting where they need to be. Listen to me. There is literally nothing that can stop you from walking in the fullness of God. This passage that we're reading tonight is a story that the Word of God records in Samaria where there was a literal drought of food. But people today are starving from a literal drought of the Word of God and the fullness of God. Nothing can fix that but you. God has already said everything He needs to say. Come on, somebody. How many of you think that we need to add more books? No. He done said it. We got to preach it, teach it, and live it. Believe it. Amen. So, Here's the thing I want you to see is there's a fullness that God has that a lot of the church don't walk in. Turn with me to Romans chapter 15. I want to start right here. Romans 15. I want to show you Paul talked about this. Then we're going to crank this up a notch. But you know. This town of Samaria, they were going to starve out until God intervened. And in your life, it's the same way. You'll starve out until God intervenes. Nothing will change until you get alone with God and get a hold of God. I was talking with Brother Raymond after service this morning. He said, you know, we got to get ourselves stirred up on God. Some people, they just won't get stirred up on God. And nothing will change until you come to God. You see, it's not about you turning over a new leaf. It's about you surrendering the right of self to God and let God do something in you. And 
No circumstance, no spouse, no boss, no preacher, no teacher, no church, no president, no government can stop you from getting to the feet of Jesus. And I assure you, what you and I both need is to get to the feet of Jesus. What Jesus needs is not my complaints. What he needs is my alabaster box. What he needs is not for me to come with a haughty spirit saying, these people and those people and my rights and this and that. But what he needs is my tears and my brokenness brokenness and my alabaster box shed abroad on his feet again and if anybody will come to the cross and bring their alabaster box and let the tears flow I assure you Jesus will hear you from heaven and the Holy Ghost will rain down upon you and there will be no more drought in the land there will be no more drought It's that alabaster box that moved the heart of Jesus. God hasn't changed. He's the same. And I promise you, if you'll bring that alabaster box out of your heart and bring it to the feet of your Lord and Master, it will touch him. It'll touch him. The Bible says he's moved by the feeling of our infirmities. How much more by our tears? How much more by our tears? Lord, I don't have all the answers, but I know you do. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Paul said this. Read with me in Romans 15. Verse number 29. He said, and I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. This, what I want to show you in this passage is when Paul is writing this letter to the Romans, what he's telling them is, I'm not coming with the pleasure and the treasure of the world. I'm not coming with titles and cars. I'm not coming with the things of the world. I'm not coming with worldly treasure. But I'm coming with the treasure of the Spirit of God. I'm coming in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. And I want to tell you that there are many people today that are starving, that you don't have to be starving. You don't have to walk out of this church starving. You don't have to walk out of this church without the spirit and the fire of God in your soul. There is a fullness of the blessing of Christ that is available to every single believer. And nobody, literally nobody can stop you from receiving that fullness. I don't know your situation, but I know my God. And I'm telling you, there is literally nobody. President Trump, President Obama, President Biden, Congress, a bad boss, a spouse, a a child, a, a parent. Nobody can stop you from obtaining the fullness of the blessing of Christ. He is no respecter of persons, but he loves each and every one of you. He loves 
the, the children. He loves the teenagers. He loves the old. He loves the young. He loves the men. He loves the women. He loves the married and the unmarried. He loves. And He has available this fullness of this blessing. And I want to tell you tonight, God don't change. Turn with me to John chapter 10. I want to show you what Jesus says about it. John chapter number 10. The fullness of the blessing of Christ. Do you have it? Do you know him today? Do you know him today? Do you have the fullness of the blessing of Christ? Listen, the fullness means an overflowing abundance. You know, there's times in my life when I don't feel like I've got abundant life in the natural. And if I stay in the natural, I'll stay that way. Come on. You know, Smith Wigglesworth, he said he would never get out of bed. This man got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost when he was in his 50s and literally changed a lot of the known world just from his 50s. He was a plumber before that. But he said before he would get out of bed, he would pray in the Holy Ghost until he prayed happy. He would never let his feet get on the floor until he prayed himself happy in the Holy Ghost. You know, some of us, we might go through half the day before we say, you know what, Lord, I've been walking without you. Some of us go a week. Some of us might go an hour. We need our coffee. Some of us, we go through situations where somebody cuts us off in traffic or the boss tells us some bad news or somebody gives us a bad phone call and we go a few hours, a few minutes, a few days without the power and presence, fullness of God. But there's literally nothing that can stop you from obtaining this fullness of the blessing of Christ. This fullness, the word there means overflowing abundance. And like I said, there's days that I wake up and in the natural, I don't feel that abundance. But I've got to get on my face. I've got to shed a tear. I've got to cry out to Jesus. Jesus won't deny you. He died for you. He lives in you. He won't deny you. He's got for you a fullness that many of the children of God walk without. Living in a famine, surrounded by the enemy. And yet there's a fullness available for you. Read with me in John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief. How many of y'all know some thieves in your life? He's talking about the devil for sure. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it 
more abundantly. See, there's a fullness of the blessing of Christ. And he said, he's come that they might have life. Now, not everybody has life, but it's offered to all. How many of you know that God so loved the world, not the elect? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth, right, would not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus here is telling you he's come that they might have life. In other words, there's not a single soul on earth that God desires to die but all to live. Some of us are dying. Some of us are dying. Some of us, maybe, maybe you're, you're starving spiritually. You're dying. You're barely holding on. Jesus said he came that you can have life. And not a little. Not a little. But a lot. He said in the same passage, not only that you might have life, but that you might have it more abundantly. This abundant life is the fullness and the overflow that we're speaking of this night from Abraham's well that got stopped up and Isaac having to dig it out to the people of Samaria living in a famine because they weren't crying out to God. And instead of humbling themselves and going back to the cross and getting right with God, this king blamed it on the man of God. Well, I would be serving God today if it wasn't for so-and-so. So-and-so can't stop what God wants to do in you. Jesus is the author of life. Jesus is the giver of life. Jesus is the sustainer of life. And he's telling you that when he gives life, he doesn't just give life, but he gives it abundantly, this overflow. Amen? I've got the joy, joy, joy somewhere down in there. Somewhere down in there, there's a lot of worry, doubt, fear, anxiety down that's, that's, that's keeping that joy from coming out. Well, that's not the life God has for you. There's a lot of, 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 of regrets Regret's got to go. Fear's got to go. Anxiety's got to go. God didn't tell you to let your anxiety be seen. He said, let the light be seen. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify God. God wants to do something in you. And it's an overflowing, abundant thing. And I assure you this night, God knows where you're at. God knows if you're starving tonight. And I want you to know that God has for you an abundance, an overflowing abundance, a fullness of blessing of Christ Jesus. I'm not up here preaching in theory. I'm up here preaching to you reality there is an overflowing abundant river 
Jesus said, when you believe upon me, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. Friend, do you have abundant life today? Or are you starving? I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you today. Come to Jesus. Amen? Amen, amen. Lord, we bless you tonight. We thank you, Lord, for the cross. We thank you, Lord, for the sacrifice. On that cross, you bore our sin. You bore our sorrow. Lord, those of us in here tonight that are dealing with anxiety, Lord, you said our life is in your hands. Those of us in here tonight that are dealing with regret, Lord, you said that you would take our sins and remember them no more. Those of us in here tonight that are dealing with heart issues that maybe nobody understands, Lord, I thank you tonight that you're the counselor. You're the good shepherd. You're the good shepherd that has laid down your life that your sheep may live. If you're here tonight and you need that life, I want to encourage you to come to these altars tonight. Pour your soul out before God. He'll hear you. He'll hear you. Lord, if there's anybody in here that's not walking in the fullness of the blessing of you, I pray, God, that they would come receive. In Jesus' name, amen.